0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in. Real quick, to follow up from last Tuesday's question at the beginning of the podcast, I have gotten some feedback, and for the future of the podcast, what I have learned is uh, the listeners that have communicated with me like to listen on Spotify, like to listen on Apple Podcasts, like to listen on Podbean, and some like to listen on YouTube, and therefore, I'm going to continue to produce this podcast going forward in a like manner that it is now. I had been putting it on Facebook. I got no feedback from Facebook, so I'm going to stop putting the podcast on Facebook. Of course, people that were listening on Facebook can subscribe in many different ways from and you can always go to my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. Click on podcast and you will find ways to subscribe. I've also reduced the list on my website to uh, the feedback that I've gotten. What are the better podcast apps? There are some apps that delay, like Google Podcast. It, this podcast may show up a day or two late. Uh, Rumble may show up later for some people than for other people, and there are more consistent. Of course, I know I've mentioned this to you before, but Podbean hosts my podcast. I pay them to host the podcast, so that's going to be where it is first all the time. It has been showing up pretty quick on, on YouTube, and I schedule it for production there, so and it's been working pretty well there. But Apple seems to be working real well for people that are listening to it on Apple. Uh, Scott and Paul were telling me that they're getting it, you know, right on time frequently. Others told me that Spotify is, is spot on with that. Amazon Music seems to be doing uh, pretty good. So those are some of the recommended sites that I have. Now to our podcast. We are going to talk about the often abused word expedient. Now for those that are listening to this podcast, Um, And I I understand there may be some people that didn't contact me. Maybe you want to be anonymous for whatever reason, and that's fine. Uh, But we understand as a whole, those that communicate with me back and forth about the podcast, that we need biblical authority for the things that we say and do. When Jesus sent the apostles out, the context of Matthew 28, 16 through 20, to teach and baptize among all nations, Matthew 28, 19, after they taught and baptized... In Matthew 28, 20, they were told teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and law I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus, in a conversation in Luke 11, 27, 28, says, It came to pass, he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus in John twelve twenty-six says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So from these scriptures, we're to observe what Jesus taught through the apostles, what Jesus teaches through the scriptures, the inspired word of God. We're to hear the word of God and keep it. We're to understand that we are servants. And if we want to be where Jesus is, that is in heaven, we need to serve him faithfully. We need to understand when it comes to the church Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says he has put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth in all that Christ is the head of his church. He's the head of the body. It is not. If you go back and listen to last week's podcast where we talk about orthodoxy, it's not some board or commission or or creed book or anything else. Nah, nah, nah. Sorry about that. Um Seems to happen when I forget to mute my phone. My phone does go off quite frequently during the day, uh, but I will let that person leave a message and get back to them. Might be a telemarketer anyway. Uh, back to our, our podcast. Sorry about that interruption. When, when we look at individual Christians, Colossians 3:16 and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us. When we're singing, for example, we're teaching one another, I'm singing to the Lord, yes, but I'm also speaking words that admonish my brethren, so forth and so on. And whatsoever you or I do, whatsoever you or I say, we're to do in the name of or by the authority of Christ being thankful to God the Father. In 2 John, verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. So we see scriptures like this, and they're very clear. To abide in Christ, I've got to not transgress His law. And to this, most people agree on some level. However, there are creative ways in which division occurs, and man gets what man wants, and the word expedient is one of those often abused ways, and it has become a huge problem, and it's increasingly growing. In the observation I've had, so I'm going to ask you, please listen to the whole podcast. There's going to be some challenging things in here to think about, and and I, I want to illustrate some things to you, and and then I'm going to show you how. Unlawfully, people use the the idea of what's expedient, what it truly means. Now I'm going to show you how we can really use that term and how there are expedients, that is, the way we'll define them both biblically and in the English language. Over the years, I've observed all manner of practices within churches and the lives of individual Christians that are at best questionable And the way those people explain those things is by saying it's an expedient, or this expedites God's will. I was part of that problem many years ago. I understand the mentality behind it. What often happens is that there's not clear authority for some practice. That practice gets called into question, and then the answer is, well, that's an expedient. Not, not too long ago, there's a, a, some guy named Travis Thomas on Facebook. He's a false teacher among churches of Christ. And he was putting up pictures of a puppet show and all kinds of things that they were doing at their quote-unquote vacation Bible school. And I asked him if Christians in the first century did that. And he answered no. And I replied with something along the lines of, that should tell you something. And, you know, he clapped back at me with, it's an expedient the elders authorized it. Somebody that's a member of the congregation that that he's at uh, replied and said, if you would have come and seen, you would have known that this is pleasing to God because that was one of the questions I asked. How do you know that this is pleasing to God? And his answer was because the children were happy. I mean, this is what ends up happening, what often happens there. The question is there. And instead of turning in their Bible and saying, I'm going to prove all things through the scriptures, it's it's an expedient. The elders determined it to be an expedient. I mean, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, folks, Christ is the head of the church, not the elders. Well, there, there are, are things that happen then. There are expedients, and then there are things that have to used because of those expedients. Let me give you a challenging thought, and we're going to talk about this particular thing as we go through, and don't make any conclusions about what I'm saying other than allow yourself to think about this. So a church says, we have to assemble. We're going to come to scriptures on this in a little bit later. And they say, okay, let's buy a church building. And then they say, the church building needs a parking lot. Church building needs air conditioning. Church building needs grass. Church building needs trees. Local ordinances require us to give put vegetation on so much of the property. Okay, so all this stuff gets classified under an expedient to assemble. Well, then that expedient has measures that need to be taken care of. So then there's expedients to expedite the expedient, right? Like lawn mowers, uh, watering, weeds, weed eater, lawn services, so forth, so on. And whoever's paying for them, out of the treasury or not, we're not even talking about that right now. Just the idea that here's this expedient that then needs other things to accompany it. So you go from the command to assemble and somehow along the whole line of reasoning, you get to sprinkler systems, you get to fluorescent light bulbs and, you know, Hey, Biden might've outruled the, or might've said you can't use those light bulbs anymore. Um, now you have to upgrade the whole electrical system and you have to put in new lighting and all these other things and it just keeps going and going and going here's my question when do you begin to question this when do you begin to say we have expedients to expedite the expedient to expedite that expedient to expedite that expedient we bought the lawnmower we bought the weed eater We buy the gas for the lawnmower. We're paying for the lawnmower to be repaired. Wait, we bought a maintenance plan. We have a building. We have an insurance policy on the building. We have trash service, electricity, water, gas. We have a water softener. We have a water fountain. We have bathrooms. We have all these different things all under the command to assemble. When do you ever step back and say, why didn't the church in the first century do that? church buildings were not built in the first century. When when do we question that? When do we pull that into, wait a minute, what are we really doing here? Then down the road, the church grows and the building no longer fits all the membership. So build an addition. Wait, can't build an addition on this property, so let's sell it. Now the church gets into the real estate business. Well, What's that an expedient for? That's still an expedient to assemble. So then you sell the property, you profit off of it. Now, this church stands up and says, the only way we can collect funds is through the offering of the saints on the first day of the week. But then we sell this building, we buy another piece of land, we construct another facility that fits the new membership. Ah. 20 years down the road, the church has shrunk in size. We no longer need this big property, but we need a preacher. Hey, let's sell the building. Let's rent a facility. Let's put that money in the bank. Let's do this. Let's do this. Now the church has this bank account for this, that bank account for this, this interest bearing account. Ladies and gentlemen, when do we begin to ask the questions? Is this really inexpedient to assemble? Let me give you something here. The English word expedient, and and we got to be honest, okay? I'm using Merriam-Webster dictionary. I want you to think. The adjective is suitable for achieving a particular end in a given circumstance. Second definition, characterized by concern with what is opportune, especially, and here's Webster goes on to say, govern by self-interest, Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I think I think this is this, this is part of the word we really need to be thinking about. What are we expediting with air conditioning, grass, trees, shrubbery, pavement? Hmm. The noun something done or used to achieve a particular end, usually quickly or temporarily, an expedient action or solution. That's Merriam-Webster. Uh, Another dictionary, New Oxford American Dictionary, as an adjective defines it as of an action convenient and practical, although possibly improper or immoral, gives an example. Either side could break the agreement if it were expedient to do so. So you're in a contract and you're saying we can break this contract if it's expedient to do so. Situation ethics. Noun, a means of attaining an end especially one that is convenient, but considered improper or immoral. The current, as an example, the current policy is a political expedient. Hmm. Okay. Well, what's often referred to when we have discussions about expedience is, well, we have songbooks. As a matter of fact, every time I talk to somebody about this, they'll say, do y'all have songbooks? And I'll say, yes, we have songbooks. And they'll say, well, where's your authority for that? And this is a big head-scratcher for me. What's the book of Psalms? It's a song book, right? I, I don't know why that's even a question. It's clearly authorized, but somehow people compare that to all the other things. And then other things are given in play. Now, I, I want to give you something, okay? Let me, like Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let me speak as a fool. I'm going to be ridiculous here for a minute. Pay close attention to what I just said. I am going to be ridiculous for a minute, but I'm going to do this to illustrate how far the argument expediency can go. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, says to, verse 1 beginning, to everything there's a season, a time and a purpose under heaven, a time to be born. So, The Bible says there's a time and a purpose for everything, a time to be born. So we're building a church building for us to assemble in, and we're going to add a unit to the church building. We're going to hire uh, an OBGYN, and we're going to have a birthing center because there's a time to be born. And in the church building, Ecclesiastes 3.2 says a time to die. So in the church building, we're also going to have a funeral section, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Well, that is why we plant around the building because there's a time to plant. Uh, three, three, a time to kill and a time to heal. Mm, I'll leave this one alone. A time to break down and a time to build up. Oh, so in, in, in the church building, we, we are also uh, putting in place a deconstruction unit. Four, a time to weep and a time to laugh. So we have hired on staff counselors to help people who are weeping, and we have hired a comedian. He will be here every third Sunday of the month, and a section of the service on Sunday mornings will have a comedian. A time to mourn and a time to dance, which is why we put a dance floor in the middle of the the, uh, auditorium. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones up. Yay, that's why we built a quarry. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We have we have that along with the holy kiss in the new testament so we have a um, a romance section of the church building and you know what we have done we've called it the love room and every once in a while we play that song love shack love shack right i'm not even going to go here anyway uh on we can go right a time to lose a time to cast away time to win time to sow. time to love time to hate we have a war room because there's a tie of warm what we go on, right? Let me ask you a question. At some point, at some point there, I got ridiculous, right? But what would you say to my ridiculous statements if you follow the line of thinking that if it's in the Bible, we can do it, and then we could purchase, set up, organize whatever would expedite what the Bible says. Where do you stop it? Where do you stop it? People get hungry. We have a fellowship hall. Well, people have to go to the bathroom. We have bathrooms. People have to sleep. We have hotel rooms. Wait, that's too far. Based on what? Where, where do you stop it? How, how do you say this is a bridge to far, because once you open that door, where do you go? Now, some people would say, well, that's the slippery slope logic, and and that doesn't make something wrong in itself. Well, to a degree, I agree. It doesn't make something wrong in itself. Expediency is a biblical subject matter, but when you're really using the word the way it's used in the Bible, it's more restrictive than permissive. Have you ever heard that? Well let me let, let, let me give it to you. In 1 Corinthians 6:12, Paul says all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So he's saying something can be lawful, but not expedient. When you look at the way that word is used in 1 Corinthians 6:12, at Strong's number 4851, I'm going to use Thayer's Greek to English Lexicon says to bring or, I mean, sorry, to bear or bring together. Second definition, to bear together at the same time, to carry with others, to collect or contribute in order to help, to help, be profitable, be expedient. So it kind of fits the English word, to help. It's a tool. It's an aid. Okay. Something expedites something. Like, for example, it was expedient for Jesus to leave the disciples because there was a plan in place that required Jesus not to be there. In John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Later in verse 13 of John 16, it says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is coming, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but will show you, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come. So it was expedient it was useful for Jesus to go back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could happen so that progress would come about. When we look at that word, it's also translated as better. Like in Matthew 18, 6, whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The word better there is the same word translated exp- expedient, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Or in Acts 20 and verse 20, profitable. Paul says to the Ephesian elders and how I kept back nothing to you that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, as well as profit in first Corinthians seven thirty-five, in context about the, uh, about marriage. He says, I speak this for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that, which is comely that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So, so we have to put this into play. Does it help further the cause? That's the way Jesus used that word in John 16. Is it better for this than that? Is it profitable? Will it profit you for this to occur? Something may be lawful, but it's not going to be better or profitable to somebody for it to occur. Hmm. Let's think about this in the way it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23-33. through The context here is about lawful, expedient, and edifying. And this, this again, the word, the idea, the concept is much more restrictive than permissive. The way it's used in our time is for people to do things that the Bible does not instruct. In the scriptures, it's limiting things more than not that are authorized. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, beginning... says, all things are lawful for me. Same language as in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, right? Same word. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So here is a restrictive nature of biblical authority. Something can be lawful, meaning God says you can do it. But it may be restricted because it's not expedient or edifying or both. In verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles—that is, the markets—then that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. So here is authority: you could go to the market. That market may contain things that have been offered to idols. Contextually, that's the point. Going back, chapter eight. Ask no questions for conscience' sake, he says, in verse twenty-six. So here's your authority: you could go, you could buy that meat that may have been offered to an idol. You don't have to ask. It says for the earth, to the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, what's her set before you eat? Asking no question for conscience sake. So I'm going to a feast. I'm authorized to go to a feast with unbelievers. And even though there is an opportunity for that meat to have been offered to idols, I do not have to worry about that. I don't have to ask about that. So I have authority, okay? Verse 28, but if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, "...eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth of the Lord and the fullness thereof." So now, what was authorized did not just get extended. He, di- he didn't use the word the way people generally do with expedient. It became restrictive. Are, it is lawful for you to have this, but wait. Someone pointed out to you that it's offered to idols for his conscience sake, for conscience sake in general... Don't eat. Now, is this about your conscience? No. Verse 29 Conscience, I say not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Oh, see, the biblical usage of expediency is not the way the English word is meant. Remember, the English word means governed by self-interest. The English word according, and that was Merriam-Webster's dictionary. The New Oxford American Dictionary that I just use on my computer, Apple product, Says, although possibly or improper, immoral. That, that's saying the way the English word is used, you can go and do something that may be otherwise immoral. This is governed by your self interest. Expedient in the Bible, though, is governed by other people's conscience, not your own profit, but their profit. Hmm. A little different than the way a lot of people go about this. It first has to be lawful, but then Paul took that which was lawful. You can eat meats that may be offered to idols. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, it shouldn't mean anything to a Christian. We know that an idol is nothing. Wait, unless it causes offense, unless it causes to the stumble. Then it's not expedient. Don't do it. It's not profitable to somebody else. Now, most seem to I understand the idea of lawful. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, the saints in Thessalonica were told, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that you've received of us how you ought to walk and please God so you would abound more and more for you know what commandments we give you by the Lord Jesus. See, people, when you read that scripture, they'll say, yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. We know how to please God through the scriptures. But listen, when we, when, when, we, when, when we hear the word expedient come up, you're not going to be going to the scriptures anymore. You're not going to be saying, Jesus said this, or the apostles said this, or the church in Thessalonica did this. Now, you're going to be doing something that the Bible doesn't have a record of. Now, human judgment enters in. We're going to talk about that as we go forward. Back in Ezekiel 18, 5-9, it says, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right... And hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes hath kept my judgments to deal truly he is just he shall surely live saith the lord we seem to understand this that i need to do right by other people and i need to follow the commandments of the lord as jesus said in john 14:15 if you love me keep my commandments to this there is rarely debate in john 15:10 if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And when we read those scriptures, people will shake their heads. Yes. Jesus is the author of salvation to all them that obey him. Hebrews 5, 9. Yes. 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 But then we turn and say, so where in the Bible do you get authority for this practice, that practice, or whatever it is that you're doing? Oh, it's an expedient. Okay. So let's think further. Let's dig in a little bit. Something that's lawful. How about the eating of meats? And 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, says, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So if you were to come here to El Paso and and you know maybe we just converted somebody out of uh, out of a modern day false religion, and that false religion told them, you can't eat pork. And maybe they go back to the Old Testament and they, and they, they, they see confirmation of that and they say, see, I, I can't do it. And may, you, you explain to them, we're not under the Old Testament or, anymore, et cetera. And you show them verse 4, 1-5. through five. Every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And you say, here's the authority we're going to eat. But, but do you know that it can't be practiced because it's not expedient or edifying in Romans 14 14 through 21 Paul says I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but him that esteemeth anything to be unclean to him it is unclean but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat now walkest thou not charitably destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died let not then your good be evil spoken of "...for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but is it evil for that man who eateth with offense?" It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or made weak. Do you see, it's restricted. Even though it's lawful, it's restricted because it's not edifying. Therefore, it's not expedient. Here, having this brother over for pulled pork sandwiches, though it is explicitly authorized becomes sinful because it violates his weak conscience it's not expedient it's not useful it's not good see it's it's not permissive it's restrictive let's look at a a fallacy in logic some people will say and i want to I, I mentioned an illustration earlier so i'll come back to it Teaching is a work that's to be done, and and they'll use whatever scriptures. Generally, people will go to Matthew 28, 19, and Mark 16, 15, 16. Listen, that's to the apostles. I don't know why people go there. That's to the apostles. I do not know anyone in the modern day that have walked away from everything and have spent their life out traveling, preaching the gospel to the entire world. Uh, That's what the apostles did. That was done. They preached the gospel to every creature under heaven by the time you come to, to the book of Colossians, Colossians 1 and verse 5 and following. And Acts 18, 11, Here, so here's a scripture. Speaking of Paul, says he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So, okay, teaching is authorized. And it's authorized in many different ways, okay? So somebody might take a scripture like that and say the reason we have Vacation Bible School is to teach the Word of God to children. Okay? Here's the problem. That's not lawful. Where in the Scriptures did the Lord tell churches to create an event geared towards children? Events that in every case that I've seen, involve entertainment, cookies, all kinds of things, things that a lot of these churches would otherwise condemn as unscriptural, here in this event, say the VBS is an expedient to teach. But to whom is the responsibility of teaching the scriptures to children? Is it to the church as a collective body? Or is it to parents? I mean, there are youth ministers in the Bible. There's not that office. But the youth ministers, according to the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are parents. You know, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Old Testament reference, verses 1 through 7, these are the commandments, the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all the statutes and commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life. And that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers have promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, somebody reply to that and says, to me, like, like I'm an idiot, have you heard of evangelism? You're not evangelizing three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds. You're not. Anybody that says you're evangelizing three-year-olds or four-year-olds or five-year-olds is ridiculous. I don't don't get it. Like, you're telling saved people because they're not lost. They they don't even know right from wrong, James 4, 17, how to be converted. What are you converting them from? Innocence to innocence? Furthermore, teaching of the Word of God is not done through coloring books, puppet shows, cookies, cookies. One of the things that frustrates me, hey, my brethren that listen to this, you've heard me go off on this in the past. Like when people dumb down accounts in the Bible because they're teaching them the three-year-olds. Noah and the ark. You know what the focal point is? The ark, they color the ark. The animals, two by two, which by the way isn't accurate. Read the whole account. Go back and read Genesis 6, 7, 8. What about the Animals that went on for sacrifices, etc. So the dumbed down version is actually false doctrine. Oh, the rainbow. We got to color of the rainbow. we color, color the ark. Color the animals. Look at the lions going on to the ark with the birds and so forth and so on and blah, 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 blah. You know what I've never seen in those coloring books? What about the millions of people drowning? Because Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 is a lesson about wrath and destruction as much as it is about salvation. Yeah. Why isn't that taught? Because people pervert the word of God to coloring books. Why why, why aren't you just teaching them from the Bible? This is what you'll say. Well, they can't understand those words. Hmm. Hmm. Let me tell you something. No kidding, idiot. So you're not really teaching that three-year-old, are you? No, you're not. No, you're not. You have created something that you like, that parents like. A babysitting service for a period of time or or entertainment or whatever. Just call it what it is. Change the sign out front from the church of whatever to the church of we do what we want to do under the title expediency. Just be honest about it. What are you teaching a child when they're putting together a puzzle about the ark? Or when they're coloring Joseph's coat of many colors, what about what his brothers did to him? Well, let's skip that. It's like six chapters in the Bible all of a sudden disappear. And and then, oh, let's talk about how Joseph saved his brothers. Well, what about what they did to him? Why don't you want to talk about that? Hey, why don't you show Potiphar's wife and how she tried to seduce Joseph, well, that's not for children. Really? Okay. And you're saying that you're doing the work of teaching the scriptures. You're not. You know you're not. That's not honest. Maybe it's you've not thought about it. Well, it's time to think about it. Here's something huge to consider. Teaching occurred throughout the Bible with children present. It wasn't dumbed down. They weren't separated from the adults. Teaching occurred to all that were assembled, man, woman, and child. Listen, Deuteronomy thirty-one twelve: Gather the people together, men and women and children, and the stranger that's within thy gates, that they may hear, that they may learn, that they may fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law. And Ezra 10, 1, When Ezra had prayed, when he had confessed, weeping and casting down himself before the house of God, there assembled out of of Israel, a very great congregation of men and women and children for the people wept very sore. They didn't separate them. They didn't VBS them. They didn't children's church or whatever other things are going out there. When Jesus fed the four and the 5,000, you know, when you look at, at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 21, they did eat were filled, took up fragments that remained 12 baskets full. they were eaten were about 5,000 men, notice beside women and children. What was Jesus doing prior to that miracle? He was teaching them. They didn't separate the children. Do you think the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds and the infants and the four-year-olds and the five-year- olds understood everything? No, absolutely not. but that they did not get separated because they didn't understand. They were included in the teaching that was going on to adults. You want to do something good for your children? Let them hear the word of God the way it is written. Not the coloring book form. That's false doctrine. It is absolutely false doctrine. It's a perversion of the truth. Let them hear it. Then let them ask questions. You know, we, we got we got some people, some some young children here in the congregation. And you know what? Just just most weeks, one of them comes up to me. Charlie, this, just this past week, young girl, lover, our, the, the kids that are here, you know, (laughs) they're listening. They're listening. And she wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And she wanted to talk to me about um, God. And, you know, did he kill them after they killed Jesus on the cross? No, he didn't. Oh, really? Why not? So we talked about mercy. And you know what she said to me? It was remarkable. Here's just this young lady listening Half, halfway. You know, she's not fully engaged, and she says, I want to be merciful like God. That was huge, out of the mouth of babes, right? You know what would have happened if we were putting her in a children's class? She'd be coloring. Instead, she's listening to the Word of God. It's going to her ears. Her little sister a few weeks ago, I just mentioned her name, and she... she She heard it. She knew what was going on. Other young children in the congregation, Liam sometimes walks up and says things to me, and I'm just amazed at how much he picked up from that conversation. I have a mentally retarded daughter that can scripturally pray. Do you know why? Because she has learned. She's mentally retarded, but she knows how to talk to God. From repetition of years and years and years, not being taken and put away, but being included in very adult teaching. Folks, don't rob your children of the scriptures under the guise of expediency. Let them hear the word of God the way it is, the way it is. Timothy learned from a child the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.15, not the coloring book versions, scriptures. So let me change gears for a little bit. I'm just challenging you here, okay? I hope you're being challenged. Let's change gears, though. Part of the definition of the English word expedient, again, comes back to govern by self-interest. And we talk about where human reasoning comes in. What about that side of the expediency? What about the guy who says, but the elders decided that this is expedient? Do you know what the Bible teaches us about human judgment? Just follow with me here. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Wow. If you, to this point of this podcast, are still sitting there saying, I don't have a problem with the way we think about expediencies today. If Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 doesn't hit the pause button, whew, how about this? Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right in the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16, 25 says basically the same thing. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. You know why people will defend things like vacation Bible school? Because it's right in their eyes. Never once in all 66 books of the Bible did anything ever like that happen. So Israel, the churches of the first century, they just don't get it like you do. Even though the Spirit was guiding the apostles, the Spirit just wasn't as smart as you. Vacation Bible School hasn't existed for more than 100 years. Shouldn't that tell you something? My goodness, folks, come on. You know why people defend it? Because it's right in their own eyes. Whew. Proverbs 20, 24. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Whew. Whew. Come on. Jeremiah 10, 23. O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Whew. My goodness, right? New Testament. In Matthew 16, beginning of verse 5, when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then said Jesus unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? Which when Jesus perceived, he said to them, O ye of little faith, why reason yourselves? Among yourselves, because you have brought no bread, do you not understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baskets you took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not concerning the bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how they debated them beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees." not of the leaven of the bread, but of the, uh, of the doctrine of the Pharisees. They got it wrong. Human reasoning gets it wrong. The church in Corinth, think about how they were taking one another to court in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6. And, and and Paul wrote about them. You know, don't you have somebody there to judge? No. What a shame. The subject matter of expediency involves human judgment. Let's come back to an earlier thing that we talked about. The command to to assemble, right? Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembles of ourselves together as a manner of is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's that command. That command is coupled with the fact that we see in the scriptures that they met in places other than houses, okay? They met in places other than then houses, they met in the temple grounds in Acts 2. The church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. 20, wherefore, when you come together in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. One place, a place to assemble. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if the whole church be come together in one place, all speak with tongues, coming to say, uh, those of the unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say they're mad? The, the point is miraculous gifts in the context. But what I'm drawing from this is they were assembling in one place. Now, you can infer from that that it wasn't a house because they were asked in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 22 when they were abusing the Lord's Supper, What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church, meaning the assembly of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Yes, I praise you not. So, I mean, it, from that, doesn't appear they're meeting in a house. They're meeting in a place somewhere. Some. Public or, or private place where, like I said, in Acts two forty six, the temple grounds. Or meeting in a home, certainly authorized. Romans sixteen, three through five, where we see greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who for my life have laid down their necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles, likewise greet the church that's in their house, salute my well beloved Epineus, which is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ, their house, meaning the church didn't go out and buy a facility. Brethren provided the facility. Now, okay, here's where the expedient discussion comes in. People will say, well, we need a, a building. We have X amount of members. We need a building. Okay. We take up a collection. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says... Concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, so said to you, upon the first day of the week, let everyone lay by in store as God's purpose in that there be no gatherings when I come. Okay? So the church says, we believe it is expedient for us to buy this land and to build a building. The total cost will be 500 and whatever thousand, or a million, or or whatever uh, it is. I, I have no idea. Never been part of any of that, but whatever. Okay? Whatever it is. Can I put some challenges to you here? The collection in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 was not for a building fund. It wasn't. It was to help poor saints. And yes, it it, it infers the churches of Galatian, others, you know, there are things that need to be done with the treasury. When you look at the scriptures, helping needy saints, Romans 16, 25 through 27, clearly authorized for the congregation to do that as, as a whole. Okay. Or as you see here in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, if you were to go and read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, 13, the church in Corinth is called upon when Titus and messengers from other churches come to take that collection. Authorized. The church is authorized to support elders, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. To support faithful evangelists, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14. Paul was supported by the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 18. Okay, so we know there's funds for that. We know there's a collection for that. The only time we see authority for a collection is upon the first day of the week. So we draw all these conclusions. Okay, okay. Here's what you never read about in the New Testament. They did not build facilities. Not once. In the Old Testament, God told them to build the temple. He told them before that to build the tabernacle. He gave them the blueprints God designed who would build the temple? Solomon. Didn't even allow just anybody to do it. Specifically, Solomon. At the end of our lesson, we'll read from a text, but kind of mentions that, but 2 Samuel 7, if you want to read the chapter, okay? What to put inside the temple, the dimensions to build it, where to build it, all specified by God. What's that tell you? When God wants a place built, He tells you who When, where, why, and how. Don't you find it curious that there are 27 New Testament books that do not ever outline how, when, where, why, by whom a building is to be built. It's not talked about who should fund it. None of those things. Now, here is a thought to take this even further. I want you to imagine a church gets together and decides it's expedient to spend $500,000 on a meeting place. Then, one of the sisters in the congregation who has three children, her husband dies in a work accident or an automobile accident, whatever, something that has nothing to do with negligence. And she is a widow. Let me further this. They had children. She can no longer have any more children, either for uh, reasons of a surgery she had or just because her womb is now incapable of bearing children, whatever has happened, okay? Now I wanna draw your mind. These two things are in place $500,000 for a meeting place. Here's a 40 year old widow that can't have any more children, her husband's dead, he had no life insurance, and they were financially strapped. She doesn't work. First Timothy 5, 3-16 says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God." Now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those in his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. So don't let her be taken onto the books if she's under 60 years old. Having been the wife of one man, well reported of good works, if she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. So this 40-year-old sister, let's add to it, because I forgot to add this in, she doesn't have any family that are Christians or any family at all. Let's just wipe all of that out. She has nobody to take care of her. She comes to the church and the brethren study 1 Timothy 5 and they get as far as we have so far and they say, well, you're not 60 years old. We can't can't support you on a continual basis. Then they read on. But the younger widows refuse. So she's younger. We're to refuse her. When they began to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they've cast off their first faith. With all, they learn to be idle, walking about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers, busybody, speaking things which you ought not. I will, therefore, the younger women marry, bear children. Wait a minute. She can't even do that, right? So she could get married, but she can't promise that man children. Guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If a man or a woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So very clearly, the church is only authorized to take on those that are widows indeed. This woman does not qualify. She may get remarried, but she doesn't have a womb to offer to another man. Isn't this a problem? Now, wait. The church has set aside $500,000 for a new place to assemble. I mean, they could meet publicly somewhere. They go to a park. and They could maybe go to a hotel conference room. They could do something that doesn't require the purchasing of property, but they haven't even considered that because we need a church building to be the church is their mentality, and that's the expedient measure to go. They haven't even weighed the other things, and I don't want to give suggestions of what is lawful in this case. I'm trying to get you to ask questions. How do you look at your sister in Christ and say, we're sorry you're going to be homeless. Hey, but on Sunday, you're going to enjoy the nice new air-conditioned building that we bought. How, How do you do that? And you can't violate 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. Do you not see that the idea of what is expedient is being abused in this principle? How do you turn away a sister in Christ but build this facility? You know how? You've ignored the fact that God never told you to do it. You've relied on your own reasoning. And it's put you in this dilemma. God didn't put you in this dilemma. You did that. The Lord's pretty specific about what's to be done with the collection, with the money that has been given to Him. We covered that. Help those needy saints, yes, but she's a widow, and the widows indeed are specifically the ones that are supposed to be taken care of on a long-term basis by the church. she go get a job? I mean, possibly. What if she can't? Individual Christians can bring her in. I know that's certainly what, what I would be doing uh, immediately if one of our younger widow women became a widow. I would step up and try to help and, you know, Hey, maybe this garage needs to turn into an apartment. We maybe we need to do something. We're not going to let her be homeless because, you know, me as an individual Christian, 1 John 3, 14 through 18, how can I see my sister in need and shut up my bowels and compassion on her? We're not even calling the church together to talk about this. And in fact, I know here that she's probably got multiple offers at the same time because a lot of our brethren know, hey, we need to take care of this sister in Christ, and and that's the way it's supposed to be. But we're also not spending five hundred thousand dollars on a church building, so we have no dilemma here. What about where you are? And I just used the term five hundred thousand. I think that's probably low here in El Paso. Houses are going for three hundred plus thousand, which just blows my mind. I don't know how people are affording that. Um, and maybe where you are, things are more expensive or cheaper. I don't know. I just pulled a number out of thin air. What happens? Well, the church is operating like a business, so it needs a place, a headquarters, right? Is that biblical thinking? It, it, it's not. You see, the work of the church is very simple in the New Testament. The idea of expediency has complicated it. You remember what we were talking about earlier? The building gets built, let's say that's 500,000. City says, you need so much vegetation. Now you're planting trees. And you know what you got to do? You got to take care of them. You got grass. You got to take care of it. You got landscaping. All these additional costs, which have nothing to do with the church. But people will say, well, we have to obey the law. Romans 13, 1 through 7 and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. Wait a minute. Hasn't that dilemma just made it not expedient? You see, human reasoning starts getting ahead of itself. Because then you've got the parking lot, the landscaping. Now we need to resurface the parking lot five years later here in El Paso where the sun's just beating down all the time. We live in the sun city. These types of things are real. The, the wind's blowing. Roof needs repaired. Need new air conditioning. Need all these things. Individual saints say, we can't take, keep taking care of this. So what are we going to do? We're going to take away from needy saints, evangelists, elders, and widows indeed, For buildings. That's what we're going to do. Mm. Don't you think something's missed in that human reasoning? At At the very least, folks, haven't I brought about questions? Again, expediency, at best, often leads about questions. But when we come back to Romans 14, which is talking about lawful things that aren't expedient, Romans 14, 23 says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If I'm able to give you doubt, if you're sitting back saying, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, that makes what you're doing sinful because you're not sure it's right. Because the Bible teaches us there in Romans 14, 23 that that's the case. And that's with authorized things like eating of meats. In Ephesians 5.10, it says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Are you able to test and know it's acceptable unto the Lord? 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Prove or test all things. Hold fast that which is good. We're testing this right here. How many things are being done where you assemble that are questionable? When you question it, what kind of answer are you being provided? You know, Somebody did this to me on Facebook, and, and and I provided them a list of everything the church does here and all the scriptures that support it. You, you know, it didn't take very long at all for me to do that, because everything we do is explicitly authorized here in the congregation in El Paso, and that's not my doing. That's our doing. We we, we we, years ago, went to the Bible and said, if we can't prove it, we're not going to do it. I want to give you some reasoning. Now, so that we can just not consider the abuse of expedience, but so that we can see how we really can walk through this measure. So let's take teaching, for example. And, and we'll use Paul, e- easy example. In Galatians 1, 11 through 16, he's, he's supposed to teach. He says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Christ. For you heard in my conversation in the past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So, okay, the work of teaching the word of God, proven. Paul was sent out. Acts 13, 1-5, and the Holy Ghost is part of this. The elders are part of this. A situation that's not exactly able to be accomplished today says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manian and they which brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hand on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia. From then, sent to sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. So three men at this point, right? Um, they preached the word of God. We see things here. The Holy Spirit sent them, so there's no question about authority. They used modern transportation. They sailed. That's important to understand that travel requires transportation. We see that Paul departed in a ship of Alexandria, Acts 28, 11. Modern transportation, vessels of transportation are used. Travel was necessary. When we later look at Paul writing to the church in Rome, Romans fifteen, twenty-eight and 29, when therefore I've performed this, and has sealed them to this fruit, I will come to you by unto Spain. I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So he's, hey, I'm going to come to you. Again, transportation needed for that. Clearly authorized. So it's expedient when you're traveling to use transportation. The Bible shows that. See, we don't have to use a quote-unquote men's business meeting that you don't read about anywhere in the Bible to vote on. Which you don't read anywhere in the Bible, something being expedient. He also taught by way of writing to churches and individuals. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, letting him knowledge of the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. 1 Timothy 3:14 to the individual Timothy the evangelist, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. We talked about this on Sunday's podcast when we talked about 1 Peter 1:1. 1, 1. To write. You need things to write with, whatever those may be, whatever may be modern at that time. Uh, For example, in 2 Timothy 4.13, Paul said, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee the books, especially the parchment, parchment, so paper then, which is very different now. We need tools by which we communicate. We see authority for that. See, it doesn't require us to make these jumps. I've heard people Say they were told to go, and go authorizes. Blah, blah 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 blah. Okay, but can you turn in your Bible and show that? See, I'm able to do that. In expediencies, we have clear examples. They were necessary. They were helpful. They didn't change the work. Couldn't be done without it. Paul could not get from here to there without transportation. Now that transportation varies in the scriptures, which shows us that it can vary. Today, we don't have to use this go idea. You know, under go, human entertainment, schools, camps, all these things you don't read about in the Bible have been brought about under this idea of generic authority. False concept. Here's how you can break this down. You can go and teach by walking. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee in Mark 1.16. Modern transportation, like we've talked about already, Paul sailed, or in Acts 20 verse 3, there he abode three months and when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. You can use modern transportation. You can write. You can communicate not in person. 2 Thessalonians three seventeen, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle. So I write. Back and forth correspondence. The Corinthians were writing to Paul as he's writing them. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. They were writing to him. Things being recorded. Have you ever thought about this? Um, I have because I record lessons. I wanted to know, does the Lord permit the recording of a lesson? So I thought through the scriptures. And you know what the book of Acts is? It's a letter, the second letter to Theophilus, Luke being the first. And in that letter, sermons are recorded. Things that were preached publicly are recorded for later consumption, right? Acts 2, we see it. We we see communications in Acts 4 and 5, 6, 7, 8, so forth and so on. When Paul in Acts chapter uh, chapter 13, uh, when he was traveling and came to Antioch, In Acts 13, 14, the text goes on and shows that uh, they went into the synagogue. In verse 15, after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. And from there, his sermon is recorded for later consumption. You do not have to create. You can go to the Bible and see that there are things that are authorized. You know that's wonderful when you don't have to jump through hoops and well the elder said it's expedient or the preacher said it's expedient or well, these things have been understood by brethren for ex- that they're expedient. No, the scriptures teach us how God's instructions can be expedited and and how what we could use in that manner. I mentioned earlier 2 Timothy 3.15. I want to give you a little bit of the context. Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul's at the end of his life. And in 2 Timothy 3.14-17, he tells the evangelist, "Continue in the things which thou hast learned, has been assured of. That's huge. Expediency has always left doubts in honest people's minds. When you're doing what's right, you have assurance. He goes on, Knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Ladies and gentlemen, the Scriptures equip us unto all good works." Or as Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, according as divine power had given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We don't have to go nuts and jump out. Remember that verse we looked at earlier in Colossians 3, 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, doesn't that cover it all? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If it's expedient, go to the Bible and prove it. Let me let, let me give you an illustration, the VBS thing, right? If that were a lawful expedient, you'd be able to go back and you'd be able to say the church had special events for children. And you'd be able to say, turn your Bible to, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter. You'd have to say 6 because it's nowhere in there, right? <laughs> if you catch that, there's only five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Um but you'd be able to do that. You'd be able to turn the Bible. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, These things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Paulus for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that none of you be puffed up one against another. When we are talking about expediencies, we're using human reasoning. It's governed by self-interest. That's the meaning of the word. We're thinking beyond what's written. My question is, do we have a pattern or not? Is that pattern of men or is it of God? In 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. What's the pattern? When God has not spoken, I want you to think about what he has actually communicated. In Acts 15, there's a problem. People went down from Judea and had bound circumcision. Well, the law of Moses had been done away in Christ, Romans 7.1-6. They had no right to teach that. We see that in Galatia. The, the church in Galatia was told not to teach circumcision, chapters 5 and 6. In Acts fifteen twenty two through 24, it says, It pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. They wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we've heard that certain went out from us, troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Boom. There it is. To whom we gave no such commandment. Ladies and gentlemen, whether it is the Old or the New Testament, adding to the word of God has always been sinful. In Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. In Deuteronomy 12.32, whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. And Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ under another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel in any of that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel in any of that which you have received, let him be accursed. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, there's the seven churches in Asia Minor. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add in these things, God shall add in the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Ladies and gentlemen, did you hear that? It's consistent from cover to cover, from the law of Moses through the law of Christ. When we biblically are talking about what's expedient, the context are more restrictive than permissive. You need to step back and say, why in modern day has the subject matter of expediency become more permissive than restrictive? Because it's been flipped. And churches are therefore doing at least that which is highly questionable and most likely that which is outright sinful and if you're not sure it's right that makes it wrong again Romans 14:23 Ephesians 5:10 1 Thessalonians 5:21 that we have talked about go and read those scriptures and think about it you know i remember years and years ago when i began to question the things that that had become customary to me not biblical but i thought they were right because wiser older teachers that knew the bible much greater than i did I mean, they were teaching them, they were doing them, so they had to be right. Trust my brethren. When I began to put questions like, well, how do we know this is right? I remember in 1999, a church I was working with, we were going to have a lectureship, and a uh, Virginia Bible lectureship, and we're going to have these great speakers come. And, and it came to my attention that we were going to spend X amount of thousands of dollars per day of that lectureship, feeding people that were there. And I, and I said, I said, you know, and I was very ignorant at the time. I said, where's that a work of the church? And they said, well, it's hospitality. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, uh, okay. Is it really, I mean, you know, hospitality folks, it's the work of individual Christians to, to have people enter our home, distributing the of saints, giving to hospitality, Romans 12, 13. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, 1 Peter 4, 9. It's not the work of the kingdom. It's not church work. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and join the Holy Ghost. When we start going down this road of it's a work of the church to feed Christians because we're gathered together, and we start saying, well, Jesus fed the 5,000. Hey, listen. Go read John 6. When they followed him for the meat, for the food, he rebuked them. Labor not for the meat that perishes. Go read the context. Read John 6, 26 and 27 in that context. They were wrong because they were there for the food. They missed the miracle. The miracle was confirming Jesus and his word. That's what miracles were for, Mark 16, 15 through 20. They missed that. They were there for the food. Well, and... Let me come back to Virginia here. I didn't really get a good answer. Um, I kept questioning, but I didn't really get good answers. I talked to men that I thought were good, capable preachers, and here's what they said It's an expedient. Okay, for what? For what? I mean, frankly, you got a bunch of fat preachers, not all of them, a lot of them, that were coming to that lectureship. They didn't need fed. And if they needed fed, I mean, we had members of the congregation, my family included, you know, we'll have people over for lunch. We're going to take a break anyway. Let's, let's go have lunch. Well, that led me to question everything we were doing. Led me down a couple of years of study that led me to conclude we're using quote-unquote generic authority and expediency way looser then the Bible says, I've come a long way in understanding this subject matter. I hope you will take what, what I, it took me a while to learn because other people weren't teaching it. Take advantage of, of these questions that I'm giving you. Because without answers, you need to stop doing some stuff. You, you need to bring it to, to light. And if the answer is, well, it's just an expedient. Okay, prove to me through the scriptures how you came to this. Now, I want to draw your mind back to something I said we'd get to. 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 7, and and I want you to think about this. The general process of we're doing this because it's expedient. In 2 Samuel 7, you have King David, a man after God's own heart. He's going to talk to a prophet. A prophet's going to give him authority to do something, and I want you to notice God's response. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 7, it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and a tabernacle and all the places wherein I've walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not a house of cedar? Did you hear that? God's response is, When did I ask for this? Well, he goes on the context, say, I have a plan. It's for Solomon to build it. And it goes from there. Folks, It's not expedient if it's not right. And and it has to be lawful to begin with. Hey, hey, we're doing this because of an expedient. Okay, but what's the lawful thing? Second of all, if we measure expediency and come back to the context of 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33, things authorized, but it has to be expedient and edifying. If it's not both, Even though it may be lawful, we can't do it. That is more restrictive than permissive. You know, as well as I do, that that is not the common approach to what is expedient or edifying. The common approach is backwards that what's expedient and edifying becomes lawful. No, no, that's backwards. Hey, would you join me in serving the Lord instead of man? If you got some questions, let me help you study through them. Where, where instead of, well, I think it's a good idea or it's expedient, where you can actually get Bible answers. I'd love to help you with that. These are things the brethren I work with on a local basis and some from afar. We've studied through and we spent hours and hours and weeks and months and years making sure that we're doing what's right in the sight of God, being cautious and careful. I'd like to help you do that. Call me up, 915-525-5794. Send me an email, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. But I'd much rather talk to you. We can Skype, we can FaceTime. I've got these apps on my phone and computer. We we could talk. If you are anywhere near me, I'm in El Paso, Texas, USA, on the border of Mexico and New Mexico. You know, I'm closer to San Diego, California than I am Houston, Texas. If you look on the map, maybe you're closer to me than you think. We can get together in person. I'll drive some distances to sit down and study with you. And I don't mean a 30-minute coffee study. I mean, let's get into the book. Our Lord Jesus Christ could come at any time. Are you really ready for that? We have members here, as you've heard, if you've been listening to the podcast, several who have moved from different parts of the country to be part of the congregation here because we only do what we can absolutely prove is acceptable on the side of God. We're not walking on the cliff uh, We're not doing things that everybody's questioning. When somebody has a question, man, they're welcomed. If we can't prove it convincingly, then we approach the Bible the way lawful and expedient is intended to be approached. Okay? More restrictive than permissive. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope if all goes according to plan that you will get a hold of me if you got questions. But if not, that you'll tune back in on Sunday, and if life continues on this earth, we'll be digging into 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, where you're talking about elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I thank you so much for your time. I know this has been a longer podcast. I've got a lot more that I could say, but I hope it has, at very least, given you some things to chew on. And I know for some people, this might be some meat, so uh, maybe you got to go back and listen to it again. Listen carefully. Be cautious. Use the Word of God. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'll say goodbye.